Well, this morning we're going to continue on our message on prayer, and you can turn to Isaiah chapter 64. We're going to read again our text here. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Verses 1 through 8. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil. To make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have the eyes seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, and those is continuance, we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. We'll again take our primary thought from the first half of verse 7. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us. And again, that word stirreth up or that phrase there, that is the idea of opening the eyes, to awaken oneself, to lift or rise up, to arise, to rouse oneself, to incite, and to excite oneself is triumphant. Amen. You can stir yourself up to seek God. Amen. God commands us, amen, to seek him, and we have the ability under grace, if we're truly born of God, to stir ourselves with right motives to seek God, amen? You're not helpless, amen? You can resist the flesh. You can resist the devil, and you can press through and pray through, amen? This morning, part three, the conclusion, amen, of our thought, the dynamics of overcoming prayer. Father, we do need you, Lord. We ask that you would draw us unto yourself, We pray, Lord, that this word, Father, that you would build faith, that we would draw nigh to you, Lord. It would be a catalyst, Father God, to compel, to motivate us, Lord God, to resist, to rise up, to draw nigh to you, to believe you, to pray through. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So thus far, we've addressed five practical ways that we can scripturally stir up ourselves to seek God. Namely, we're to give our relationship with God the preeminence. And if we do give that relationship, in other words, nothing more important in my life than having a right relationship with God. Amen? Amen. If I do that, then prayer has to be a priority. It has to be a priority. In humility, We choose to draw not a God by faith. Amen. Number three, fully we engage in prayer, not just in spirit, but with the body as well. Amen. Prayer is labor. Amen. Prayer many times. It's going to be uh, to work, to press through, to resist, to take authority over yourself and to press in. Amen. Learn brokenness and childlikeness in your personal devotions. Number four, we covered that last week. And number five, strive for consistency. He is a rewarder of those who what? 
diligently seek after him. So we continue here this morning with our final three. First of all, you must maintain a clean conscience. And perhaps that should have been number one, amen? Acts 24 and 16, the apostle Paul testified and said, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Amen, that's a real Christian. That's someone who walking in holiness. That's not Romans 7, I can tell you that. Amen. So we cannot, nor will we, amen, be able to overcome in prayer if we fail to practically overcome in sin uh, in our daily lives. It's an impossibility. So the psalmist said in 66 and 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so it is, a defiled conscience always undermines genuine faith in the heart. Amen. A defiled conscience always grieves the Spirit of God. And this is one of the reasons we are constantly quoting that, that verse, that proverb, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Amen. So remember, the normal Christian experience is one of spirit-led victory, walking in all the spiritual light that we possess at any given time. That, that's the normal Christian experience. Is it possible to fall? Yes. But if we sin, we have an advocate, amen? And Jesus Christ, amen, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. We are to quickly repent. Amen. Rise up in holiness and follow Jesus. Romans 8, 5 through 9. For to be carnally minded is death. If you are carnally minded, if you are carnal, amen, you are going to die. If you walk, live in the flesh, ultimately it is going to produce death. There's no way that you're going to foster spiritual life if you are carnal. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Yeah, there, there's a, the Christian experience is one of divine life, one of blessing. Amen? Where the, where the yoke is, is easy and the burden is light. That's normal Christianity where there's peace between you and God. Because the carnal mind is enmity or hatred against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye, who's ye? Us. <laughs> the church. You're born again. You're not in Romans 7, you're in Romans 8. Amen. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's an absolute principle right there, friend. Ultimately, we have to understand the Holy Ghost is never going to abide where he is not allowed to fully govern. The Holy Ghost is not going to abide with you. The Holy Ghost is not going to give you grace. The Holy Ghost is not going to lead you. The Holy Ghost is not going to give you wisdom. The Holy Ghost is not going to restrain you. The Holy Ghost is not going to dwell within you if you refuse to allow him to govern your life. He's grieved instantly when he says, you go this way and you say, no, I'm going this way. Or when you walk out the door here and you say, I'll see you next week on Sunday. I want you to consider with me for a moment the original text here in Isaiah 64. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness as as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us, because of our iniquities. Now this prophetic confession, it is indeed speaking to God's people, Israel, at the time of this prophecy. However, not as God's people should have been. 
obedient and holy, but God's people being disobedient and backslidden. Isaiah 64, 7 then, with its condemnation of the atmosphere where none calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of God, is describing the spiritual qualities not of an Israel in right relationship with God, but rather of a disobedient, stiff-necked, backslidden people. Amen. As the psalmist said, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. And then if you turn over to the New Testament, you read a very similar commentary in Romans chapter 3. It is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So again, this passage is not describing the born-again, regenerate experience, but the universal condition of fallen humanity that is estranged from God by sin. As it says in Proverbs 15 and 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. If God is hiding his face from someone, it's because they do not have the righteousness of Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Thus, prayer is not only hindered by compromise and unbelief, but at the most basic spiritual level, prayerlessness is indicative of a life that is defiled by sin. You see people in churches, and this has always been uh, you know, my observation from uh, being born again from the first church, every church that I've been in. You see people that week after week, they, they may attend uh, the prayer meetings, a lot of them wouldn't attend prayer meetings if you allowed them not to do so. Here there's a lot of pressure to come to prayer, amen, and that's a good thing. Say, so I want to be pressured to pray, amen, I do. <laughs> but if you just show up bodily and don't give your heart to it, it's not going to do you any good. But, you know, people would come to prayer meetings perhaps, amen, but they were unengaged, sleepy, passive, Amen. I, you know, have prayer meeting. I've gone to uh, extended prayer meetings where there'd be two hours of prayer and then a, a break for an hour. We used to have that here. And there'd be people, they could be over there falling asleep, dead asleep, hearing snoring. Amen. Then come the break and they get up and talk about what they were shopping for. Amen. Or what the, you know, their mowers or their children or whatever it was. And they were wide awake. Go right back to pray. Boom. Down sleeping again. Sleepy, unengaged, passive, curled up like a wet noodle, maybe hiding in their Bible. It's okay to read your Bible when you pray. Amen. Don't, don't think I'm saying there's a, but a lot of people are not really reading that Bible. They just, they, they're so uncomfortable. It's so awkward. They don't have anything to say. So they open their Bible and they feign that they are reading their Bible. Uh, perhaps they're bored, disinterested, distracted, perhaps even agitated. Amen. You can walk right by them, lean over, and you cannot hear a word coming out of their mouth. Amen. Others may seem to periodically, uh, you know, attempt to press in, but they really never get through. Amen. It's like a roller coaster. You observe their experience over time. They lack confidence. They don't have the real personal, direct knowledge of God. There's a lack in spiritual advancement. Listen to me. In all these situations, you know what the problem is? Sin in that life. That's what the problem is. Yes, sir. It grieves the spirit of prayer. And, you know, I, I can recall over the years, pastorally trying to encourage people individually to pray, even sitting them down, you need to have victory in your prayer life. What are you talking about? I got victory in my prayer life. No, I don't think you do. People get quite offended with that. You're not really praying. <laughs> what do you mean? I come to all the prayer meetings. Well, there's a lack. You need to press in. You need to pray. You need to learn how to pray. You need to seek God. Whatever's hindering you from praying, 
People get very offended with that. And then people would ask, well, how would you really know? I can know by watching someone's life. I'm the one who sits in their house and counsels with them. I'm the one who looks at, you know, reasons with it, see the problems, the dysfunction in their family, etc. And amen, you pray through, you get that fixed like this. Amen, but these people go round and round the same mountain for months and years and years. I can tell you this, nobody that's seeking God with all their heart is going to be stagnant in the spirit like that. I don't have to be God. Amen, you're not praying if you're not advancing in the Holy Ghost and overcoming. Amen. John Owen said, when someone acts weak, negligent, are casual in a duty, performing it carelessly or lifelessly without any genuine satisfaction, joy, or interest, has already entered into the spirit that will lead him into trouble. How many we see today who have departed from the warm-hearted service and have become negligent, careless, and indifferent in their prayer life or in the reading of the scriptures? For each one who escapes this peril, a hundred others will be ensnared. Then it may be too late to acknowledge I neglected private prayer, or I did not meditate on God's word, or I did not hear what I should have listened to. Amen. Like Adam, who hid in the garden after the fall, we can daily walk with God, or we can fall into sin. But we cannot do both simultaneously. Emmy Andros said, if the Christian does not allow prayer to drive sin out of his life, sin will drive prayer out of his life. Like light and darkness, the two cannot dwell together. As God through the prophet Isaiah chastened a backslidden Israel in Isaiah chapter 1 and said, and when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. And like, likewise, Jesus set forth this immutable spiritual principle in John 3 and 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The least bit of sin or pride will always quench the spirit of prayer. Furthermore, and this is uh, you know, interesting because Charlie is talking about Romans 7, but like the Romans 7 experience, so many stumble over that, professing Christians, amen, all these professing believers they erroneously assume this is the normal, typical Christian life. Amen. Many assume, likewise, their lack of a conscious desire to seek God, their seemingly inability to stir oneself, to press in and pray, is consistent with being a fully consecrated Christian. Not so. Amen. That is erroneous, as we discussed last week. That divine spark of life, even the infant Christian, all born-again believers, amen, have the Spirit of God that cries, Abba, Father, in their bosom. Granted, that has to be act upon, and it has to be cultivated, amen, that you can advance in prayer. Granted, after we're born again, we must learn to pray. We must pray through to victory in prayer. We know that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Is there a warfare in prayer? Well, of course there is, absolutely. In fact, there's nothing that's going to be fought so intensely by the devil, amen, as you seeking to establish yourself in prayer. Nevertheless, we can overcome, amen. We can defeat, amen, the enemy. We can rise above the flesh, amen. So it is, this is a spiritual Absolute, as Hebrews 11 and 6 teaches, faith naturally draws not a God. You say, I believe God, then you're coming to God. If you're not coming to God, you don't believe God, no matter what you think about it. 
And counterwise, I mean, unbelief is falling away, as it teaches in Hebrews 3 and 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Faith is drawing nigh. Amen. Unbelief is departing. If you have difficulty praying, you're not conscious of desire to, a desire to pray. Amen. You go to prayer meeting after prayer meeting. You can't focus. You can't concentrate. Amen. There's a difficult, there's a, the, the heavens are brass. Amen. You, be, you better stir yourself. Amen. You better get to an altar and repent. You better find out what's going on with you and your spirit because you're not going to, you're not going to, nothing's going to change if you don't press through that, whatever that is. I mean, this is, I've seen this for years. People, they just backslide right in front of you and they just do what they always do, just continuing to grow colder and colder and refusing to take a step toward God. Well, it's not going to change. You're going to have to take the initiative, amen? The fundamental desire to maintain a right relationship with God, which is a direct, very personal, heartfelt, real, tangible communion. Now, not some religious theory that we talk about but really have no experience in. No, no. That desire to maintain that sort of relationship amen, is motivated by genuine love for God. That is what biblical Christianity is at its essence. In other words, you know, the church and preaching on the street and homeschooling and all of our convictions and standards, as important as those things are, those are on the peripheral. They should flow out of this relationship. But the center, the core, the essence is I love him and I'll do anything to keep that relationship with him. I fear many people. There's a void there. Anyone who does not desire that sort of relationship with God does not love God. You don't love God just because you come to consume our fellowship. You don't love God just because you wear a long dress. You, you can hate God and come here and had plenty of people come here that did hate him. Just because you preach on the street, I mean, you love God. If you don't have that ongoing communion, who, who, say, who would dare claim to be close with another person that they never have communion with? Just because you lived in the same city as that person, just because you dressed the same way they dressed, and you had uh, some beliefs like they believed, but you never spent time with them, you didn't enjoy their presence and their person, you didn't share your heart with them, amen, and open up your heart to receive from them, how could you say you love such a person? How could you even define that as a close relationship? You couldn't. The most you can say is it's someone I'm remotely acquainted with. Anyone who does not have a desire for that sort of relationship with God doesn't truly love God. And they're not truly wanting to be a biblical Christian. Amen? To be a biblical Christian is, above all, to know God from the least to the greatest. Moreover, at the core of this sort of relationship is prayer or communion. Communication. That's why when we, you know, you have these discussions and prayer is by far. To have to, there's no spiritual discipline or service that's comparable with prayer. And when people wrangle over that, you have to wonder what in the world is going on. Because there's nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing, not even close, not even the same galaxy. Perhaps reading, meditating, and digesting the word of God. Yes, right there. 
But, you know, the written and the living. The written word is not going to do you very much good if you don't have communion with the living word. Anyone we love, anyone we express a desire for a close relationship with, we want to spend time with them. We want to talk, listen, and share. Amen? It's impossible to divorce prayer, much prayer, vibrant prayer, from a healthy relationship with God. That's why there is the emphasis, anytime you get uh, you know, under someone who truly knows God or in a ministry that is truly anointed, amen, and called of God, prayer is going to be emphasized. It's impossible to have a close relationship with Jesus without talking to him and listening to him. And so it is keeping a clean conscience then is crucial to enjoying a fruitful prayer life. 1 John 3, 23. Through 22, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. You know, I've heard people, some people say, that means if, you know, even though I'm a drunkard, God's greater than my heart that condemns me. I'm, I'm not guilty. That ain't what that means. <laughs> that means if your conscience, if you're conscious of guilt, how much the all-knowing, Amen? God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Amen. You're not gonna overcome in prayer. Amen. If you don't walk free from sin, Amen. And if you do fall, then repent quickly. Amen. He'll forgive. Amen. Thank God for that. I'm not saying he won't forgive you. Amen. But if you, if you're unconfessed or unforsaken sin, you're conscious of it, you refuse to put that away. Amen. You're not going to go anywhere in prayer. Next, display fervency. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that she may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that word fervent, again, means to be red hot, as glowing with intensity to boil with heat. As the scriptures teach, effectual prayer then is fervent prayer. In other words, prayer that works is prayer that's heartfelt, intense, and passionate, amen? And again, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that fervency is called for because fervency is commanded, and it's commanded through the scriptures, but I'm just gonna quote one verse, Romans 12 and 11, about be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, amen? That that. That covers pretty much anything and everything that you would do in your Christian life, amen? And therefore, fervency is something that God commands of us, then certainly it's something that we can produce with a sincere choice of our will. Now, so many people get messed up over this sort of thing, where, well, if I just start, you know, pacing back and forth, or I become loud or, you know, then that's, I'm being a hypocrite. No, 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 choose to have the right motive. It's, it's such an amazing thing. You talk to people, I'm not sure whether my motive is right. Well, choose to have the right motive. I mean, it's, it's that simple. I mean, you have authority over yourself. And God wouldn't, he wouldn't command you to be sincere. He wouldn't command you to be without guile. He wouldn't command you to have fervency, etc., and so forth. If you couldn't choose to do that, he's expecting you to take authority over yourself. Tell the devil to shut up. Amen. All the act, and I've got the right motive. I'm doing this because I love God. Don't just sit there, amen, and let the devil in the flesh steal an hour of prayer from you while you sit there in confusion. I've often heard people say they struggle with passivity in prayer. I don't want to just stir up myself. 
as if it's wrong to stir yourself up to seek God. It's not wrong. We're reading the very text suggest. Amen. God is lamenting that there are not people that will stir themselves up and seek God. Amen. This is so pervasive, yet this unconscious false idea that God is going to somehow force himself upon us and make us feel something so that we will do his will. No, that's not the way that it goes. No one is going to walk on the water until he chooses to step out the boat at the word of the Lord. If that is you, Lord, bid me to come. Come. He didn't make Peter get out of that boat. Peter had to choose to go to that boat. When he stepped on that water, he walked on the water. Amen. That's how faith operates. Amen. The object of faith is the word of God. And so the Bible says, amen, stirring ourselves, being fervent, amen, is the will of God. Then you can do that. Amen. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Amen. We often quote Jesus' words in Matthew 11 and 12. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force, which simply means wherever we attempt to establish the kingdom of God, Satan is going to vehemently oppose us. That's an absolute, and that's certainly true, amen, of prayer. Well, in prayer, what sort of warfare, what is the warfare like? Well, Satan, of course, he'll try to discourage us in praying. He'll try to distract us from praying. We we may find it difficult to concentrate and focus. Sometimes we might battle fatigue, amen, find it hard staying awake, amen. Basically, we will be tempted to be passive, lethargic, and apathetic. Just come to a prayer meeting, mind kind of, you know, in a void, in a vacuum, thinking here, there, then every once in a while, maybe thinking about a scripture or some need I have, amen. But basically, just, you know, succumbing to our own felt needs. This is, this is where people that don't have victory in prayer, you know what they do? They succumb to their own felt needs. They're tired. They find some place. Lay down, basically rest. They minister to themselves when they should be ministering to God. The devil comes in, they begin to be worried about something. And so they just meditate, hash through things, come up with schemes. They do nothing but worry, worry, focus on themselves. Amen? Meditating on something other, amen, than the task at hand, which is prayer. That's the warfare. But remember, when Satan attacks us to overcome, the scriptures clearly instruct us to do what? To submit yourselves, therefore, to God. To resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? So now, if you're real tired and weary, and what you really want to do is curl up like a wet noodle in a ball and just be totally silent and take a little rest, because you're tired, to resist the devil would be to do what? Exactly the opposite. Yes. How do you know people aren't praying? Because they do the same thing over and over, and you never say. There's a body language to resistance, man. <laughs> you know, when I worked at the plant, they'd have these meetings that lasted all day, these safety meetings. I mean, they're so boring. So awful, going there for three and four hours. They play these films of, from 1950. Uh, and you'd watch people. But if you, if you fell asleep in there, that, you know, wasn't a good thing. So people are trying to stay away. And then when they're sitting there, they're not, they're not just, they're standing up, shaking their head. They got to, they go stand in the corner. They move around, they shift. They're just trying to stay awake. You can come to prayer meetings and see these lifeless, listless people that never move, buried their heads somewhere, never move. Could, could you pray like that and stay awake? Yep, you could. And I'm not suggesting that everyone is doing that is sleeping, but there are people that do sleep and they do it week after week. 
month after month, year after year, and their body language never speaks of resistance. Hey, but the devil is going to, there are many times I'm very sleepy. And at, during prayer, there's times that, amen, that I'm not sleepy at all until I start praying. Amen. Immediately now I'm really tired. It's got to be resisted. Choosing to be fervent in prayer, at least in part, is taking authority over yourself and your thought life and directing yourself toward God. Amen. In other words, there's going to be these, you know, warfares in every, anyone, am I, this is common. All these things, everybody faces this. But some people are resisting it. And you can find yourself, there, there are some prayer meetings, many times that I've come to prayer meetings here, and the whole entire time, I am fighting from falling asleep. Sometimes I've been so tired, I'm praying, and all of a sudden I, I realize I'm not praying, that I'm kind of dozing off. Well, what do you do? You, you stir yourself to see God. This is all we're really talking about. Taking authority over yourself instead of just falling into the river of the flesh and letting it take the, uh, the current, taking you with the current. Amen. You've got to fight against that and press in. So choosing to be fervent in prayer, at least in part, is taking authority over yourself, over your thought, thought life, and directing yourself toward God. That's why you see these individuals curled up in a pew, rarely ever hear them audibly pray, never hardly see any body language that suggests they are fighting something. There is something wrong. Everyone has to fight this battle. And sometimes that means you have to pace. I'm not saying you have to pace to pray. I'm just simply saying there are things that you're going to do to focus yourself, amen, upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and overcome in prayer. Finally, by faith, lean upon the Holy Ghost. Lean upon the Holy Ghost. Romans 8 and 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is absolutely essential in regards to overcoming prayer. Jude 1 and 20, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We cannot keep ourselves in the love of God if we fail to pray in the Holy Ghost. And first, such prayer cannot be realized if we failed to pray through or pray until, Amen. And so it's, it's fine that we have scheduled prayer meetings. And it's fine that you would have personal, amen, scheduled prayer meetings. Amen, because if you don't plan to pray, you're never going to pray, amen? But in your devotional life, there's going to be times where you're going to have to set your heart to seek God, amen, with all, amen, of your heart to seek God without limitations on time. In other words, I'm not going to pray just an hour. I'm not going to pray two hours. I'm not going to pray three hours. I'm going to pray until, until I get through, until I'm a conscious, amen, until a place where I'm conscious, amen, that I have tangibly communed with God, a place where I experience his presence and where faith and liberty freely flow, amen? That's what should be common, amen, and typical of your experience. Without the fortification of faith and the personal revelation of God praying through brings, consistent praying in the Spirit is difficult, if not impossible. You see, that's needed. On the, as I spoke about last week, just in your personal 
devotional. That proves that zeal and that jealousness for that relationship that you would fight through any difficulties. Maybe you don't understand it. You don't figure it out. I'm just going to have to fight until I find. See, that's what God wants to see. And when you display that, there's things you learn that can never be taught. There's a stability that comes. So without that fortification of faith and personal revelation of God, then, you know, praying in the Spirit consistently is going to be difficult. God intended for every believer to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You believe that? I believe it. Amen. Believers who are not baptized in the Holy Ghost are at a great disadvantage. Amen. What about John Wesley and all the martyrs? I don't know. Can't answer that. Do they have great testimonies? Yeah. That'll be a reproof to us. If they would have been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking tongues, who knows what would have happened. Amen? But I'm not going to let history challenge the Bible. Every apostle was filled with the Holy Ghost. That first church was filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And you can, if you've ever been around, you know, listen to me. If I go by my own experience, I've been around all sorts of people. This baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of, yeah, they've got thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people that claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, amen, that are nowhere near the Holy Ghost, amen? It's just a counterfeit, and they've brought a reproach, but I can tell you there's something to this. There is something to it. It is the truth, amen, and you get around folk that ain't got it, and there's obviously a lack in the best, the cream of the crop. But how might we define, and you know, really listen to me, daily, daily, you ought to be asking God to fill you with the Holy Ghost afresh. They were filled in Acts chapter two, then they were filled again in Acts chapter four and on through the the book of Acts. But how might we define praying in the Holy Ghost? Praying in the Holy Ghost is nothing more than to be governed, led, and inspired by the Spirit of God in prayer. And yes, that can be as we speak in our natural language, or it could be tongues, or a combination of both. You understand what I'm saying? You can pray in the Holy Ghost and pray in English. I'm not suggesting that all that if you're not praying in tongues, you cannot pray. Uh, under the leadership or pray in the spirit as defined by the scriptures, amen? But, amen, I do want to concentrate on tongues for a moment here in the the, uh, latter portion of this message. Perhaps nothing has been so misused than the gift of tongues. Consequently, tongues has almost been viewed exclusively as something negative, And that's true. There's this negative connotation, this suspicion that is associated with tongues like no other gift, amen, uh, that is something that comes from God. It is the work of Satan to do this, to smear tongues, amen. And people just have this idea or this negative, you know, view of tongues. And sometimes they can't even explain it It's just because of all, really, the misuse, amen? Tongues have been maligned, misused, et cetera, and so forth, amen? But remember, the scriptural indictment, amen, of tongues is the misuse of tongues. And specifically, the misuse of tongues in the corporate assembly where the word of God is preached, like a meeting like this. Not the prayer meetings, Amen? The the original outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost was God himself filling the whole church with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues at a prayer meeting. 
Through the book of Acts, you have God moving. We're believers are together in prayer. Amen. It's not speaking wherever the misuse of tongues is condemned in 1 Corinthians 14. It is speaking about the corporate assembly. Amen. So keep in mind, tongues were only spoken of negatively when misused or were made the focal point of the assembly of the saints. Nowhere in the scriptures are tongues spoken of negatively in either corporate or personal prayer. Somebody say amen. amen. So one of the primary purposes of tongues is the yielding of the tongue and the mind to God's spirit in prayer, which, of course, if the Holy Ghost is praying through you, that's going to be effectual prayer in the extreme. Amen. That's God's spirit praying through us. The Bible describing the day of Pentecost says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So yes, they spake. That was their part. But it was the Holy Ghost that gave them the utterance. That's God's part. Amen, that's true for us. What's your part? To speak. Amen, what's God's part? to give you the utterance, amen? So anytime anyone is truly filled with the Holy Ghost, amen, and speaking with other tongues, it's God's Spirit using their tongue, amen, and their spirit to commune directly with God. 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. What's that called? Prayer. Somebody say amen. amen. That's one, one type, amen, of tongue. And the Bible says, in regards to the list of the gifts of the Spirit, amen, there's various types, if you will. There are a plural tongues. There's three manifestations of that gift. Praying or speaking in tongues to God, amen, is one of those uses or manifestations, 1 Corinthians 14 and 14, Paul said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, of course, inspired by the Holy Ghost. So who do you suppose is better equipped to pray? You are the Holy Ghost, amen? In fact, speaking in tongues, according to the Bible, is associated with self-edification. Again, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, He that speaketh, and an unknown tongue edifieth himself. To edify means to build up or to strengthen, amen? So praying in tongues, according to the Bible, is to build oneself up in the spirit. Now, you know, I'm, I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, and actually this is somewhat of a, of a rebuke Amen, because they were misusing tongues, and he was basically pointing them back to the truth that in the assembly, the focus should be, amen, the body, or to edify the body, amen. And there was a manifestation or use of tongues for that, amen, so that you can speak it. There's a, a tongue where God is speaking through man to the body, Amen, and there's interpretation, and that equals prophecy, and that edifies the whole body. So when they're gathered together, amen, in the assembly, uh, that should be the focus for, you know, uh, a body edification over uh, a personal edification. But we can never build up others if we're spiritually weak. So during prayer and even corporate prayer, tongues, amen, can be a focus because I need to be edified and strengthened in the Holy Ghost. That's not a sinful edification to be spiritually built up. Somebody say amen. So if you believe this, then you're going to exercise yourself and lead upon God's spirit, praying in tongues, allowing the Holy Ghost to intercede through you. Now, that's just, you know, the basic teaching. But so many people have so many fleshly, carnal hang-ups about tongues. Now, I can tell you what, if you really pray through, you're not going to have any hang-ups. 
I'm going to pray in tongue, and I don't care who likes it and who doesn't. I'm free. I don't care what you think I sound like. I could care less. I'm going to do the will of God. And I am free. I pray in tongues every day. Amen? I believe the Holy Ghost is praying through me. And, and how did that happen? Because I prayed through. Because if you don't pray through the devil, you don't have anything. You're just mimicking somebody. As long as you stay in that valley, the devil is going to beat you down. Whose responsibility is to get out of that valley? It's your responsibility. As long as you're confused and I don't even know if I'm really filled and I don't know if he's filled. I don't know. As long as you're that confused, you better find out what you believe. You pray through, you're going to get free. And then, you know, squandering years and years of service where you could have yielded yourself to the Holy Ghost in prayer, amen, and you could have moved forward and you sit around confused, wondering if you're really filled with the Holy Ghost or not. I can't just speak in tongues whenever I want. Well, technically... You can't speak in tongues whenever you want. You can only speak in tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. But he'll always give you the utterance if you're full of the Holy Ghost. See, it's your responsibility every day to pray through until you know that you're filled. If you think you're filled yesterday and don't think you're filled today, you ain't prayed through yet. I didn't have a lot of feeling. I had no feeling. Now, when I got born again, I had a lot of feeling. I was chock full of feeling. I wake up in the middle of the night with my face hurting. I was smiling so hard. I've been frowning for so long, I hadn't used any of those muscles. Amen. I was so sore from smiling. I mean, really, I was lit up like a Roman candle. But when I went to go pray for the Holy Ghost, I felt nothing. Took it all by faith. Amen? And I had to fight through all of those lies. Every one of us had to fight through all of those lies. I never felt one thing. Now, later, amen, as I grew, there was a bold, there was fruit of that. But as far as the experience of being, I've been with people, there was great feeling. And I'm not against that. You may feel, you may have had great feelings that accompany being filled with the Holy Ghost. But we don't walk by what we see or what we feel. We walk by faith. That old classical Pentecost, they don't, I, I can't, I don't feel the Holy Ghost or I can't speak in tongues. That's carnal. It's carnal. Just teaching people you gotta feel something to speak in tongues. You need to believe something. And just because somebody's walking around chattering in tongues don't make, doesn't necessarily mean they're filled with the Holy Ghost. You can mimic that. You can get filled and learn that and do that over and over and be on your way to hell. That's right. But if you're really full of the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak in tongues. And you're going to be able to do it right now. Amen? How do we, how do we know he's filled with the Holy Ghost? He's not speaking in tongues. He's not filled. Look at people... Years and years later, how do, you know we're, how do you know they're filled with the Holy Ghost if they can't speak in tongues? If we say it's the initial evidence, it's the evidence. Right. Or it's one of the evidences. But if someone can't speak in tongues, I'm not question whether they're filled with the Holy Ghost. If they're daily seeking God, not being presumptuous, even in sin, believe you're still filled with the Holy Ghost, I don't care how much tongues you speak in. You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Every day you pray through. Come on. Till you're filled. Amen. With the Holy Ghost. And then at any time, amen, that you need to pray. God, God wants you to pray in the Spirit of the tongue. Right. Amen. That you yield your tongue and God will give you the utterance. Amen. Yeah. He always gives the utterance if you're filled. Praying in tongues is an effectual weapon in the warfare of prayer. I mean, it's really understated. It's, a, it's an amazing thing because it's so hated, but it's such a powerful spiritual weapon in the spirit in prayer, amen? It's one of the things that God has given us to resist the enemy. 
Praying in tongues, and this is something, I never heard anybody say this, and this is my opinion, amen, but just one uh, you know, day we were praying in here, and it just dawned on me, because when I prepare messages, since I've been born again, amen, I pray many times when I'm seeking, you know, trying to find direction from God, when I receive messages, I'm praying in tongues, but while I'm praying in tongues, God is talking to me. That's supernatural. You can talk and listen at the same time. Try it in English. You can't do it. Can't do it in English. You pray in tongues. I mean, the Holy Ghost will be talking to you, dealing with you. Amen. Why? Because it's basically, amen, it's your spirit praying and your mind is left open to receive from God. Twice as effectual. <laughs> It's a powerful tool. For if I pray in an tongue, my, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Meaning, amen, that it is basically bypassing, amen, the intellect. But that doesn't mean your intellect can't receive from God. The apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, certainly spoke as if he, by his will, could yield to God's spirit and speak with other tongues. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. How's he going to rebuke the Corinthians for speaking in tongues in church if they don't have any control over it? It's stupid to assume. I can always, well, then why is Paul rebuking the Holy Ghost for giving them utterance? He didn't say it was a false. He just said it was out of place. Don't do that. You go in a house, there's an unbeliever there, you pray over the house. You prayed well. In other words, you prayed in the Holy Ghost, and what you prayed in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, was effectual and good. But you didn't edify the believers, so avoid it then. Why would he say that to someone if they were truly led by the Holy Ghost and only could speak in tongues when they were moved upon by the Spirit of God? Be telling the guy to resist the Holy Ghost. It's true that he can only speak as God give the utterance. But we have an authority. Amen. God will give us the utterance, and we can utilize that, but we can misuse it as well. Remember, he gives the Holy Ghost to those who obey him. Obey in what? Certainly and primarily in every area to all the moral light that we possess at any given time. Amen? A man that doesn't want to obey God's not going to get the Holy Ghost. Amen? amen? But, amen, that would include utterance, and specifically the utterance that God gives us when we're filled with the Holy Ghost or in regards to praying in unknown tongues. And so you've heard me say this before. The pattern for receiving the Holy Ghost is this, by faith, we yield to speak and to obey the utterance that God is giving us in our spirit. So God's spirit is granting us both content and authority for the utterance. Everybody understands that. Amen. Someone comes up to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost and the spirit of God, amen, is giving them utterance. The reason most genuine believers, when I say that, someone can come up here if they're in compromise, sin, et cetera, and so forth, they're not going to get filled. The Spirit of God's not going to fill an unclean vessel. So that, that's one reason. But I'm speaking about genuine believers. When they fail to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is usually on the ground of pride. It violates their reason. So many people assume speaking in tongues is foolish, and it is foolish to the natural mind. It doesn't make any sense. And for anyone who's been outside of that experience and then inside the experience, I can remember thinking, this is bizarre, and this is weird, and it was spooky somewhat, you know, this kind of uneasy with what, what is this? And trying to figure it out in my mind and thinking God was going to force me, amen, to speak in tongues. No, he's not going to force me to 
speaking in tongues any more than he's going to force Peter outside that boat. He's going to give you the word. Amen. He's going to give you utterance, and he's expecting you to speak the utterance. But most people are too proud to utter what they hear, amen, because they're self-conscious. Self-consciousness is pride. That's what it is. You're self-conscious of how you sound or how you look or how you're perceived. That's pride. Nobody wants to look like a fool. Rattling off. So I, th- I thought, you know, when I, I was getting prayed for to receive the Holy Ghost, I kept thinking, I'm going to say this, and everybody, when I open my eyes, everybody's going to be pointing at me. Like, I'm, a, I'm a counterfeit. I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and for weeks, I was fighting. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I had people pray for me over and over, but finally one night I went out and prayed until. Still, I was wrestling. And I remember I went to a church service, and my pastor, I was sitting on the front row. He came and got me to come pray for somebody way in the back. We got back there, and he laid hands on him, and he said, lay hands on him with me. I said, pray in the Holy Ghost. Uh-oh. But I did it. One of my eyes, nobody was pointing me out as a heretic. <laughs> Amen. I gained confidence. Hallelujah, God. God help me, amen. Why is this the pattern? Because the primary use of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and it has many spiritual uses, obviously. But remember, Peter, amen, he's denying Jesus before a little maid. And then on the day of Pentecost, he gets filled with the Holy Ghost and stands up in downtown Jerusalem. There's a boldness that takes place, an equipping to be a witness, which generally revolves around, you're going to have to say something. And the same warfare is when you go in the donut shop one morning at 7.30. You're not thinking about anything necessarily about witnessing to anybody. And somebody next to you starts blaspheming God. And the Holy Ghost gives you an utterance. You need to speak up and rebuke that person. And what are people going to think? And how is this going to come over? Are they going to kick me out of the donut shop? You see, that's the pattern that's broken in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's more to it than that. But that's why that pattern is there. People claim tongues is the least of gifts, though the Bible never says anything remotely like that. In fact, tongues is uniquely a sign of the new covenant. For anybody who was familiar with the Old Testament like the Jews, the scriptures prophesy God's new covenant would be uniquely marked by those who speak in other tongues. Isaiah 28 and 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22, and the law is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Moreover, yielding the tongue to God has great spiritual and moral ramifications. We know in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Amen. Ain't nobody living holy without that tongue being tamed, and no man can tame his own tongue. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth. They may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So in light of that absolute, 
It's an interesting thing that the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost demands that we yield our tongues. And I'm not suggesting just that one act or even the perpetual act of yielding our tongues to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives us utterance is all there is to God taming our tongues. But I believe it's important. And I believe there's no coincidence Amen, that that little member, amen, we have to yield that to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We, in and of ourselves, cannot tame our tongue, but yielding our tongue to God is one means God tames the tongue. So I encourage all of you to pray through in this area that you're free in the Holy Ghost. And, and this is the thing, the same way that you were initially filled with the Holy Ghost, and you come into a prayer meeting, amen, and then you're, you know, you're fighting distraction, etc., and so forth. One of the ways to resist the devil is to rise up and yield yourself to the Holy Ghost and to allow the Spirit of God to pray through you. It's an effectual way to pray. The Spirit of God is, and this is the thing, the only reason people don't do this is because they don't believe it. I believe when I'm speaking with unknown tongues that the Holy Ghost is speaking to God. I believe that. I believe it. And it's true. And so for you, amen, I would trust that you would not settle down in that sort of warfare that keeps you from practicing. If you've been filled with the Holy, if you hadn't been filled with the Holy Ghost, then get full. Is it going to be that one year, two, ten years ago I spoke in tongues and never spoke again? You're not filled with the Holy Ghost. You're not filled with the Holy Ghost. You get filled with the Holy Ghost, amen, and you get free and pray through, amen, then you have to remain full of the Holy Ghost each and every day. But as long as you remain filled, amen, the Spirit of God will give you the utterance, and by faith, amen, you can step out, and the Holy Ghost will use you in prayer. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand here this morning. Practical dynamics. Amen. And overcoming prayer. I pray this minister to you. Amen. And as we continue to pray and seek God, so important that each of us have a vital, personal prayer life. Amen. We do everything that we can. Amen. To pray through. To remain. Amen. Close. Knowing walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say amen. Lift your hands toward heaven. Father, we're thankful, Lord, for the truth. I pray that we would be made free by this truth, that we would practice, Lord, what you've spoken to us, that we would be doers of thy word, that you would solidify us. Lord God, draw us unto yourself, pour out your spirit, supplication and grace upon us, that we might pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock. Come back to pray. We love you. You're dismissed.